The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and everywhere you get your podcasts on demand. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash the like and come and join us in the chat. Conversation's been rocking and rolling about 90 daggum minutes already. We love our community. Uh, we love everybody who comes to hang out, chat with each other, uh, offer commentary on the show. We will be pulling some questions, some comments uh, as usual. Today, it is a Wednesday, so that means we've got big game breakdown. Now, is it mid-game breakdown? I don't know. We're going to try to sell it as much as we can. <laughs> Listen, Wednesdays is our time to actually break into games, things that we find interesting, the matchups to watch, the X factors. When we're each rolling out between 8 to 12 locks on a Thursday, we don't always have time to be able to pick apart games and dive deep the way that we would always want to to talk about them. So we're going to give you a look into Tennessee, Florida, maybe a little backyard brawl. Some interesting uh, non-conference action for Kansas State and Missouri. Uh, SEC openers on the board as well. Uh, also, the Heisman Trophy conversation. You know, it's, September Heisman always gets awarded, but but who can actually win it? We're going to forecast that in just a little bit. Uh, but wanted to begin with, you know, in terms of news and notes and headlines. There's just sort of like a running list right now, and we always build it out, and we always try to keep you apprised of all the latest, but quarterback injuries are always going to play a role in terms of you know us trying to handicap these games, us trying to pull together our expectations. Now, I've got a, a short little list right here, but I know that you always have got a good view of the, of the landscape here. Um, do you – can I pepper some names, and we can kind of look, look at this? Is that – does yeah. that work? All right, yes. Frank Harris. This is blind, sorry? by the way, because I, I was I, I, I had a checkup this morning. So I have done zero show prep today, other than like just the show prep that I do every day for you guys. So I I'm, swear that is better than 75% of the people who talk about college football for a living. <laughs> that's probably true. <laughs> but off the top of his head is is already an elite tier. All right. Are we expecting Frank Harris, who uh, quarterback for UTSA? They've got a big game against Army coming up on Friday night. Um, a little bit banged up. Are we expecting him to be limited at all? Or is it, 
you know, kind of a something where you should maybe stay away until we know for sure that we we've seen him get out there and play. Yeah, I I think I read that he took a shot at halftime of that mm-hmm. Texas State game. Um, I don't think he ran quite as well in the second half. They also lost their right tackle, uh, Makai Hart. I think it is. Uh, I saw Jeff Trader had a pretty impassioned speech about how the it was pretty sad. Like the kid had already battled back from some major injuries, and he was a guy with NFL aspirations, and and uh, you know already has a kid. And he was like, "Look, man, when, you know when we got the card out or whatever, he was he was just apologizing to us that he couldn't finish the game." So I really felt for him. Obviously, I I don't know, man. Like. I, I have a hard time in knowing what to do with this game. Uh, Army's offense has looked really bad, but at the same time, these service academies in recent years have started terribly, uh, and then all of a sudden they hit their stride. I wonder if that's like the teams that get them really early in the season are able to uh, to rep it more in fall camp, and then all of a sudden like you get the midweek stuff where, all right, like you don't have a whole lot of time to prep for this stuff. But with the toe, uh, yeah, I – this is a hard one for me to look at, but I, I think he'll play. I'd, I'd be right, surprised but, if he didn't but, play. Or do you think you're getting Frank Harris? I mean, we've seen two games well, so far. Are you getting your receivers? Team. Yeah, I mean, you've got I mean, a UTSA offense that hasn't cracked 30 yet, no, right? Yeah. I mean, they've, they've gone up against Houston, and they've gone up against Texas State, as you mentioned, and they have both been games that have been a lot more of a grinder than you would have expected given the way that that offense performed yeah. last season. I've... I find myself looking at UTSA and Frank Harris and thinking that he is probably going to gut it out, but he's probably going to be a little bit banged up. He might not be healthy all season, and this UTSA offense might not be exactly what we would have expected. Um, you know, hey, your, your offensive coordinator's also gone too. You know, there's a lot of changes that are going on there. So I'm, I, I'm looking at that one, and I, I think that even if he's playing, I can't consider what I expected preseason. That American picture to me right now is very like it's it's too early and too dumb to say this stuff, but I will because oh, it's a show. The the American picture looks really clear to me right now. Like it, it looks like Tulane SMU, and then maybe Memphis. Like there's some shot that Memphis is really good. It's hard for me to figure this out because like I think Arkansas State is probably very bad, uh, so it's hard to judge. But like UTSA doesn't look like the same UTSA. Obviously FAU got handled by Ohio. So I think we're a three-team race for the American. But you know what? We thought that before, and then UTSA comes back like, hey, guys, we ain't dead. So I'm probably like an idiot come uh, come November for this take. But, but especially when you consider how good Tulane looked even without Michael Pratt. Correct. It's just it's kind of like, okay, they're, they're going to be at the top no matter what. I mean, competing for the conference title. I'm not saying they're going to win it, but they're going to be in it all year long. Yeah. UTSA is the only team not in that top three that I could see climbing up into the picture. Agreed. I kind of thought it was like a five-team race with FAU being like the only team, like obviously not likely, but somewhat likely. Like if you were going to have a Cinderella story, could be them type thing. But uh, they, I mean, they they just got destroyed offensive line wise by Ohio, and like mm-hmm. Ohio is clearly better on defense. But are they that much better on defense up front? Like Ohio is not known for getting elite defensive linemen. We're probably losing listeners, by the way. But you know what? <laughs> hey, like. I actually think the more with G5 we talk, the better, because no other national show talks any G5. So if we talk like five or ten minutes a day on G5, like we're, we're still I think it's important that we talk about things that are interesting to us. That yes, would generally exactly. lead to better conversation. Ohio, I don't know if you've heard, but it's a wagon. <laughs> it's, yeah. We've checked our actual status. All right, uh, would Rourke start for Bama? Because I think he would. Oh, wow. <laughs> no, I really do. Like if, if he had not had the knee and he had some certainty that he was going to be able to play this fall, He's he's a give very Texas good quarterback. Defense, give Texas's defense some love. No, like, it's a good defense, but like the the picks Milrow threw were inexcusable. Like th- those are some of the worst picks you'll ever see. Not they, only they that, nothing to do with Texas the, defense. The lack of a comfort level too. I mean, you can just kind of see when a quarterback's not a hundred percent sure what the defense is doing, where he's supposed to go with the football. I just thought you could kind of tell it's just not working great. You know, like it just did not look comfortable. Would you go to Buckner then because Tommy Reese is the offensive coordinator? Did you see what Saban was asked yesterday when he was asked about that? Mm-mm. He, oh, he was asked, did you think about benching Milrow? And he said, yes. Like, well, there you go. One. Right. I mean, so <laughs> like, I think it's one of those things where you probably see them both again this week. You're probably getting them up to speed. And then they kind of have that three-game stretch, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Texas A&M. Like, then you kind of figure out which direction you're going to go. 
Talking to a lot of people, though, I think what will be fascinating, and I can't like it's a position that you never thought you'd be in, but Ty Simpson might be the most talented. At what point do you go to him and say, all right, let's start getting him reps? Like if they lose a second game, do you just go to him then and say, all right, here we go. We're going to start. We're going to force him, let him learn, and then we're really set up next year for 24. It depends on the goals. Right, like, like I mean, I think initially you're like, this is a really good defense, and I still think it is. I mean, they they, they forced Texas to execute at a very high level, and Texas did so, and should be commended for doing so. But if you still think you can, like, maybe if it's a down year across the sport, if, if Saban still thinks he can win a natty with this team, then you need to be playing for this year. Right? But um, that's what I'm saying. If they lose one of those three, Correct. yeah, then I think you kind of. You start looking for the future. But are we sure the West champs only going to lose once in, in conference play? That, yeah. I, <clears throat> you are? No, 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 no. I'm I'm right. I'm backing, I'm backing you up. I, I do not have enough confidence in anybody in the West to be a one loss team showing up to Atlanta on the first Saturday in December. Is the SEC West just the Big Ten West with better PR? Sound off in the comments. ACC Coastal. Everybody's <laughs> going four and four. Somebody <laughs> suggested that one uh, already. Um, Cam Rising. All right, Utah's playing Weber State. You're probably not going to risk it. <laughs> Weber State blitzes like crazy. I, yeah, I, he's not I would not play him. Again, but off the top of his head, Weber State no, Okay, I, like I know this because uh, you, uh, BYU took Weber State's DC. Got and it. like they're very aggressive. And I, was, I, I was trying to get a feel for what BYU was going to do uh, for week one. So I watched him like, this is kind of fun. They're, they're aggressive. But when uh, Utah returns, they, they're going to play again Weber State this weekend. I imagine that'll be more Bryson Barnes and Nate Johnson. Are we expecting when they return to Pac-12 play, or actually their Pac-12 opener against UCLA in week four, you think we see Cam Rising back in action? I do. I'm sure that's the plan. Yeah, because look, Whittingham has already said he's been cleared for full return to practice. If you don't play him after saying that two weeks, like he said that pre Baylor. So mm-hmm. if you don't play him against UCLA and UCLA plays to its absolute ceiling, they could beat you. In fact, if you don't play him, UCLA will beat you. I'm fairly certain about, of that. So yeah, I, I think he's definitely back next week. I, I I would price the game power ratings wise, like Cam Rising is back. Do you see they're starting Nate Johnson too? They're going to give him the nod. I mean, look, eventually that kid was going to turn into a pumpkin with all due respect, to make the Centinella reference, which I guess I made last week and people didn't understand. Like, you know how the carriage turns back into a pumpkin at midnight or whatever it is in, in the Cinderella story? Hopefully I, I get the thing right. Um, um, at Cal, Sam Jackson is back in action after getting a little banged up in the very first game. You think that he is going to be holding on to that position? We did see Ben Finley take some snaps as well against Auburn. How do you see uh, that Cal quarterback situation playing out? I don't know that it matters that much. I mean, <laughs> like neither of these guys are good. Uh, Jade Knott got banged up. That, that's the one I'm worried that's about because he easily did it back. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, Sorry. I just. I'm like. I, let me see. Will I adjust my power rating? Sam Jackson or Ben Finley? I, I will. Sam. Not. Sam Jackson's wallet. Out- <laughs> Sam Jackson's wallet says Jag M Effer. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so then Blake Shapin not back yet, right? We still got another week or two on Shapin. I have yeah, him he was out three as, four, so yeah, I have him as ask for week five. So that's kind of that timeline. Ooh, I had September twenty third, but um could be could be more delayed than that. That's that's the one that feels like you absolutely need to have him in order to turn this thing around to avoid this thing. Robertson, gutsy performance. Backbreaking mistakes at the very end, and uh, they got good wide receivers, man. I just need, I, I would like to see them play better at the quarterback position. Any other uh, quarterback injuries that that stand out that we should be tracking, or other injuries? You mentioned Jade, not Micah Bernard for Utah. Also, that's a notable injury to keep an eye on. Uh, what other big injuries stand out from the first couple weeks of the season? I think uh, Bud mentioned on Monday to keep an eye on it. John Rice Plumley for UCF. That's, they announced he's going to miss a couple weeks. Yeah, he's out for a few weeks. And I think he's out for their Big 12 opener, which is mm-hmm. rough for them. He's such like – I mean, he struggled against Boise, kind of like what you get from John Rice Plumley, where it's either all or nothing. You get him in the run game, but um, he's so perfect for that system. If he could just clean up the mistakes, man. Yeah. I will uh, say uh, that staff, like 
they've back when they were at Auburn, they've certainly overcome subpar quarterback play to pull games out before. You know, like like it's not. I don't think they're crazy quarterback dependent. A big one for anybody who had the UConn under five and a half. Joe Fignano is out for the year. He is the transfer yeah. quarterback who came with the new OC, won the starting job. He's hurt. He's done for the year. Clearly, UConn was not incredibly happy with its other QB options to bring him in. So that could be something to monitor going forward with the Huskies, especially, you know, maybe maybe with a in a betting perspective from week to week. Completely agree. Yeah. If you were somebody who liked over last week, that was uh, extremely concerning in the first quarter. I was like, oh, oh God, this is because the backup can't play. Taquan Robinson, come on down. Robertson, come on down. We're going to get back to some figure it out offense. <laughs> All right. Coming up on the other side, you know, there's names at the top of the Heisman Trophy board. There's names that have been rising in the Heisman Trophy board. And Really, the list of names that could get to New York as a finalist, and it could be anybody. Anybody could get to New York, but who can actually win the Heisman Trophy? We'll get into that and more next. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast old man winter here if i had it my way it would stay winter all year long short days wind chill black ice and a good polar vortex (laughs) heaven wait is it getting warm in here your cold snap is over old man winter spring has arrived Spring Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Back here on the Cover 3 Podcast, born out of a discussion offline, specifically on, I think it was Shador, right? Mm-hmm. Shador Sanders. You know, can Colorado win enough? Or maybe it was in the show, an instant reaction. Can Colorado win enough that Shador Sanders could win a Heisman Trophy? Okay, so who can win a Heisman Trophy? Like, Danny, if you were to start, like, throwing, going down the, the board or whether, like, get, getting the circle together, how many, about how many players or who are the players that come to mind in terms of you, you think that they've got a team around them, you know, the individual excellence to be named the most outstanding player in college football at the end of the season. So I think there's a pretty clear cut formula. I think you have to, you have to be on a contending team late. Let's be honest. You kind of have to be a quarterback unless you're just freakishly talented. I think you have to have gaudy stats. I think you have to be up like in the top 10 of most, you know, passing categories. Um, so I think that whittles it down. I think you kind of have to play at a brand, like a team, you know, like the group of five doesn't, you're not going to happen at a group of five. So I think there's some criteria that you have to meet. That being said, 
Do you want me to just rattle off the list and tell you who I think has a legit chance? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, I mean, so, and you know where else? we draw the, because there's a line that we're going to draw at some point where yes. you're like, all right. Like, you know what I never thought we'd see is a back-to-back? And I know he hasn't gotten to like the meat of the schedule because there's only one way to go when you're the favorite. And then when you're the, you know, trying to go back to back as the favorite, the first time you stumble, they're going to ding you. Like it's almost impossible to come back from. I still kind of don't think we see it, but man, Caleb Williams is special. I mean, he's the number one overall pick. I thought there was going to be a debate between him and Drake May. I don't think there's going to be one for the number one overall pick. He's really starting to separate. But I still think he can win it, so I would put him in there for sure, although I don't think he would. Um, Quinn Ewers, the game he just had, the year he has, Texas, you know, they're right there. Um, Jordan Travis, again, I think it helps, you know, Florida State being back on the national stage. He's got the talent around him. He can, uh, you know, put up massive stats. Sam Hartman, I think, is a realistic one. Notre Dame QB, are you kidding me? And, you know, for what he's brought to that team so far, big game stage, he's going to have one in a couple weeks. Like, he's got the opportunity. Um, Michael Penix Jr. Yeah, I think he can do it. I mean, he had an incredible year last year. If they win the Pac-12, I think they could even be a ten and two Pac-12. And if, um, but if they to, win the Pac-12, Danny, it's going to be it's going to be on his arm. So it's yeah. going to be on like a forty-five hundred yard, forty touchdown type season. Yeah. Um. So we got him. Everybody's in agreement there. JJ McCarthy needs to pick it up stat wise. You know, well, so that he can get. But They're playing at like an Air Force tempo. <laughs> have you have you noticed this? Like Michigan yes. does not give a damn about these games. Now they may change. This may change Saturday. I don't know, but like his efficiency is pretty excellent, though. No yeah, doubt. First, but like right? they're number one. I think he's it, leading the country in efficiency. I don't yeah. think these games are fixed, but it's like they have a handshake agreement with the opponents. Like, all right, <laughs> we're gonna go crazy slow. You go crazy slow. Minimize the snaps. Minimize the opportunities for anybody to get hurt. Let's get out of here. Let's let's have a nice rest of the day. I, I, it's like they don't care in terms of getting reps in and games. Clearly, they care to win the game. They but. have looked like scrimmages, yes. Dude, like, yeah, these are unserious <laughs> games. You guys give some. I have more, but I don't want to hog the whole conversation. I will say, going back to the Caleb Williams thing, I think he can win it two years in a row if he keeps playing this way because last year they didn't win the Pac-12 and they didn't get to the playoff. If they do that, I think those are some kind of boosts of, like, you improved on last season. But also – Statistically, he's got 13 total touchdowns through three games. <laughs> you know how many? Do you know how many snaps he's played in the second half of games? Oh, snaps! I don't know. I know he hasn't Probably played a fourth 25. quarter yet, right? Thirty. He's played 30 snaps in the second half. He's only played six snaps in the fourth quarter this season. Okay. So imagine if USC was leaving him in for the full four quarters. Now, clearly, if they wanted to, they would, and they could push him to win the Heisman. But I don't think that's at the top of their priority list. So yeah. Other than that, names you haven't mentioned. I mean. Did you say Quinn Ewers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. he said Quinn yeah. second. And it was like, that's but, the one where you're starting to present it. And there's something to oh, Nick's. Oh, Caleb, sorry. <clears throat> Caleb jumps up to the picture uh, in the picture in November, sort of for an absence of other obvious picks. I mean, there's the way that we can look at them all individually, but then very tough to forecast here on September 13th. What's everybody else doing? Like that's where Michael Penix to me if you want to get off of that tier and start to get to 10 to one or more on the Heisman odds board, that's the one where Caleb has a little bit of a slip up. Texas takes a ridiculous loss uh, somewhere late in the season. And just Penix has just been steady, like 400 yards a game, 400 yards a game, 400 yards a game. And all of a sudden he builds up this profile where, like you mentioned, they're 10 and two. Maybe they're just playing for the Pac-12 title, but he's just been rock solid. There's nothing really that you can single-handedly circle on him Penix has a, a a high Heisman ceiling based on the numbers. J.J. McCarthy and Sam Hartman, that's my, oh, he's the leader of an old power. He's getting it done for the team. Even though Audric Estime would like a word, the Notre Dame defense would like a word, Blake Corum would like a word, and you know, there's a lot around them, but I think that like a, a J.J. McCarthy proposition, I think that the Sam Hartman proposition are based on team success. I think Michael Penix has that individual success type advantage that Hartman and McCarthy probably don't have. You know who might be worth a long shot bet right now? He just finally got named the starter yesterday. Yes. I'm glad Kyle you Kyle McCord. There. Yeah. Would Any you rather have, if you had a ticket, would you rather have him or Carson Beck? Kyle McCord. Ooh. I don't know. I think it's a little shaky still. Like, I think he could struggle. 
But Kyle McCord has like Marvin Harrison and Mika Buka to throw to. Carson Beck doesn't have those guys. And Georgia is going to be Georgia. Like, I just don't think he's going to put up crazy numbers, especially with Mike Bobo calling the plays. I mean, McCord could finish the year with 45 touchdowns still. Like, Ohio State's in that same similar situation with Michigan where I don't feel like they've really gotten going yet. I'd rather have Drew Aller than Kyle McCord. I, I that's a reasonable stance. I don't know if I I don't agree with it, but it's a reasonable one. There's also the impact. I think like the story of bringing Penn State to another yeah. level mm-hmm. plays really well. You know, like if you're Kyle McCord, you got to really really shine, or else people are like, ah, you, you know, you're throwing to Marvin Harrison Jr. and you're throwing, you know, you got all these weapons that you're working with. What did you guys say? I missed. Uh, what do you Shadur or Travis Hunter? If you were going to take one, who would Shador. you take? You would take Shador over. I would take Travis Hunter. I think I would take Travis Hunter. I would take Travis. Yeah, because I, to, to yeah. win to get to New York, I think Shador can get to New York, and I think Colorado will keep him throwing. But I think if here's the problem with with the Shador Heisman talk, and he's been much better than any of us on his show thought he'd be, and I think a lot of us thought he could be good. If you're telling me that Colorado is deep into the season in the playoff conversation. They're going to have to pull upsets at Oregon, host USC. Now, Arizona State looks like they're just maybe a dead team walking because of the injuries, but whatever. Stanford, they'll beat. Then you get a bye week. Then at UCLA, okay, Oregon State, Arizona, at Washington State, at Utah. I mean, they're going to be underdogs, guys, in like six more games this season, maybe seven. If you're going to pull these massive upsets, I mean, obviously Shador has to keep playing well. But you're going to have some vote-stealing stuff from Travis Hunter because Hunter's going to have to make special plays. You know, TCU scored 42 with two in-zone interceptions mm-hmm. on them. Like, other teams will score 60 on Colorado. If they, To win these games, you're going to have to have Travis Hunter probably making special plays, like turnover-type stuff, on defense and get the two-way thing, which means he's going to steal votes from Shadur. So either they don't make the playoff – or Obviously, they're not going to make the playoff. Either they don't contend for the playoff, which means I think in that scenario, Shador could get invited to New York because he's going to have the crazy numbers, mm-hmm. right? And like they, like last week, they were trying to get him numbers, it looks like. They were throwing up big super late, and he took some shots. Uh, it's sort of the, that, like, like it's a catch-22. If they're actually somehow in contention, which I very much doubt, Hunter's going to vote steal. If they're not, I think Shador can get to New York, but he clearly can't win it on like, like a 7-5 and five type team. They're, Eight and four. What's the worst no. they could go? Yeah, I think they got to go nine and three. I don't think they do. I think either one is a waste of your money. No doubt. Yeah, it, it, it's especially at these prices because like they're getting so much media love. You're getting so much um, you know, kind of amateur that money does, in the market. Like I, that does help a ton. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's such a shallow, casual voter type of ward that the more they're on and the fact that, you know, game day is going to the Colorado State game. I mean, their numbers were off the charts. Their numbers were the same as Alabama, Texas. Did you see that for the ratings? The same that's because, amount of people. Well, but that's an ESPN yeah. game versus a network game. Yes, and ESPN got dinged because the whole uh, like Florida State LSU was way bigger than, than Texas. Not that Alabama. much bigger. That was like nine point two, and they had yeah, but it was 7. but the spectrum outage. Yeah, yeah, that's was, what I think is throwing that. off some like, of these numbers. We got to compare even, ESPN games to ESPN games because the network right. games are always going to smoke them. But the brand of Dion, I mean, how many other coaches at halftime of the first game we've even seen these players would mention the Heisman Trophy? Yeah, exactly. None. Like it's, but it does help. And, and all of a sudden, it puts it plants that seed. So, like, it, I, there's eight and four or better, and an absence of some of some combination of Caleb Williams, Bo Nix, um, the West Coast. Don't forget, these are votes that are split geographically. Like yeah. Tom and I have votes that are considered the national votes, but then there are South votes. There are West Coast votes, Southwest votes. And uh, I apologize to Chris Houston if I just didn't list them correctly. I'm sure he'll come yell at me. But um, I'm a voter. I don't even know what I – I think I'm national. <laughs> yeah, I, I would assume so. I mean, like being at CBS, I would assume that's, that's what it is. But I, if there is an absence of those other West Coast quarterbacks, because you've only got three spots on the ballot – if Caleb Williams is up there and Bo Nix and Michael Penix, then yeah, it's going to be a lot tougher for either one of them. But I'm saying if those other quarterbacks fall apart, you and they're eight and four and better, and somebody's just rolling up to fill out a ballot, and they're like, 
Oh yeah, Dion's son. And that look, that is unfair Boring. to score a lot of times, but when it comes to Heisman voting, like mm-hmm. I think that that's going to be an advantage. And story. The story is great. I mean, if they go from one to eight, seven game turnaround, I still think it's nine, but I I mean, I, yeah, eight the, wouldn't be hard to believe. The, story the other reason why eight and four doesn't work is because eight and four means you've lost to two other Heisman candidates in conference. Right. You know what I'm saying? Can like, Dion like, get Heisman votes? Did Dion? Can he? Like, do you think Dion yes. will get any Heisman votes? <laughs> yes, I think he'll get some write-ins. I think he will. <laughs> why not? The first one ever. <laughs> I've never uh, – uh, we didn't mention Bo Nix. Nobody's mentioned him. He can, absolutely. absolutely I don't. I can. wouldn't pick him, but he absolutely can. He should be on the conversation. What about, what about the kid who threw five touchdowns against Texas A&M on Saturday? Ooh. Plays for a big brand, a team that gets a lot of attention when it's playing well. Definitely. Oh he should be in the conversation. Yeah. Some what commenters- about the kid he lost to? Uh, if they bounce no. back, yes, but that's that's one of those games where it's going to get looked at and be like, well, you lost this game. But somebody the commenters have mentioned quite a bit, which I think is a legit from a player perspective, but one of the things from the other angles of this that hurts them, Will Howard at Kansas State. Will Howard can have a great season at Kansas State. The fact is, unless he has like an incredible, remarkable record-setting season, it's hard to think the Kansas State QB is going to win the Heisman no matter what. And with those receivers, he won't. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Riley Leonard. You know, like I saw somebody propose him. He's a great mm-hmm. quarterback. They'll, they're will they going to make their hay in the NFL, you know, but they're not Heisman candidates. What if? Could Do you think DJU? Kansas State receivers are like bad, bad? I just don't think they're special enough to, 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 to really get him on the radar like to that. To separate him, yeah. Yeah. Okay. None Maybe. of us, um, none of us have said the name that I was. Just on the soapbox for last year, Marvin Harrison. No, oh. he could win. Drake May. Oh no, yeah. he's having a mid-season so yeah, far. Very man. mid. Two. Yeah. Well, they're like running the ball touchdown. a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and you don't. You haven't had. You haven't had Tez Walker. You didn't have Nate McCollum and Kobe Paysauer and JJ Jones are fine and the tight ends are good, but that's it's it's a different offense right now and maybe an offense that the changes are going to make it better for North Carolina later in the season. But what, let's see, what do we have so far? Two touchdowns and two interceptions mm-hmm. through two games. Yeah. Mid. Mid. I, le- I left him in the QB power rankings this week. Cause I, he's that good, but it's just, he's hanging on by a thread at this point. He needs to put up some numbers soon. I read that column this morning and I, I I'm glad that to see that you didn't bow to any kind of pressure. Like, None of the top ten from the SEC. None of the nope. next five from the SEC. <laughs> nope. There, I, there was like when I was sitting down. To, top ten. There, the quarterbacks right. are not elite in the I, SEC. Yeah. I saw Peter Burns arguing this this morning. I, I mean, obviously, I have a lot of respect for Peter, but like, bro, if we think I there's don't. 15 quarterbacks better, <laughs> I, I look like like he was arguing that Bama, that that Bama's secondary was the problem against Texas. Like it was not. No. Bama's secondary forced Texas. Who has a really, really talented quarterback to make really tough plays? Quarterback lost the game for Alabama and how they utilized that quarterback, right? Because they probably misjudged his skill set, I would think. Uh, if you don't have a top 15 quarterback in the country in your league, and that might be aggressive, it might just be top 10, but I'm pretty damn sure there's there's 10 quarterbacks that are Honestly, top way 20. better than what the SEC has. Mm-hmm. Sure. I, then that, that is a problem. I don't uh, want to rehash Monday's show, but here's one for Chip. This is for you. This is a wouldn't it be hilarious? Would it be hilarious Heisman finalist? All right. What if we get to New York and that cold, what is it, December night, and Clemson's Cade Klubnik isn't there, but Oregon State's DJ Uyunglele is? Oh, oh, man. Amazing. It would would amaze me on so many levels. I I will say I would not bet Klubnik now. But the last three quarters of that FCS game, it did look like it started yes. to click more for him. So there is some chance that they go off. They're playing faster. Like, he'll have an opportunity for numbers. He will score a lot of points this year. It If they upset Florida State, like, the time to, to bet Klubnik for the Heisman will, will have been too late. Oh, you mean win? If, yeah, <laughs> if, they, if they win the game. Yeah. By the way. Exactly. Klubnik and DJU have the exact same Heisman odds right now at 40 to 1. That's beautiful. I would rather have Klubnik at 40. Oh, hey, let's, let's do this. Okay. Right now, 40 to 1, 
DJU or Cade Klubnik go? Who would you rather have? Cade Klubnik. Yeah. Yeah. Brand, you know, powerhouse. Oregon State doesn't throw the ball very much. Yeah. yeah, it's true too. Yeah, DJ's in the same situation as Will Howard. It's just, it's like he's in that kind of offense and he's playing for a school that's just not going to get the national attention. Yeah. Question from the chat. Would, has a grad transfer ever won the Heisman Trophy? Um, yeah. There's been like four of them. Really? A grad transfer? Oh, transfer? A grad transfer? I was going to say, we, well, Burrow transferred. Didn't want he a grad transfer? Jalen Hurts was a grad transfer, I mean, wasn't I, he? Yeah. There were a bunch. Was Burrow was a grad transfer? I, I don't know. Burrow wasn't a grad. Burrow oh, was still out. an undergraduate when he transfered. He did but not. Jalen Hurts. I think he was a grad transfer. Ooh, two yeah, so years of eligibility a as a graduate. Burrow was a grad, okay. Yeah, because he played all of 2018 and was pretty good. Shirted. and then 2019 obviously lit the world on fire. Um, yeah, I think so. I think Joe Burrow, Burrow based played on two his, years, didn't he? Yeah, he played 18 and 19. Well, how did he, he have two years of eligibility if he was still a grad transfer? Well, you'd have eligibility left. You, if you redshirted, which I think he did, stayed two years. So you're three years at Ohio State. That's yeah, enough he, to graduate. Guys he definitely graduated Ohio State. This is pre-COVID. My the whole that's the thing. The eligibility rules are just completely. I have people are playing for like 20 years now. It's hard. To <laughs> Senior. Yeah. There's one other uh, name that we haven't mentioned. I, but I mean, he fits the criteria. Dylan Gabriel. He won't be the starter by the end of the year. Yeah, I, I, I just <laughs> they know I'm playing Arnold a lot too. Like, yeah, I think Arnold's going to take over. Yes, yeah. man. Remember, Bud and I have been like hardcore on this since the very first game <laughs> since Arkansas State. Yes, you like did Dylan Gabriel? It's the it's a phenomenal September opinion. Has Dylan Gabriel ruined his shot to finish the season as the starting quarterback by scoring too many touchdowns in the first yes. half? Yes. The, the galaxy on that is amazing. All right. Coming up on the other side, there are some interesting matchups here. Now, there's not like the, the bangers that we have got coming up in week four when you've got Penn State and Iowa and Ohio State and Notre Dame and Clemson and Florida State. But ooh, we're going to learn a lot about some of these teams, especially these Tennessee Volunteers. We'll get into that and more next Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. If you want to win your fantasy football league, it starts right now. The offseason is the best time to get ahead of the competition. We'll help you win your league on the Fantasy Football Today podcast, part of CBS Sports Podcast Network. Fantasy Football Today has three episodes every week following the latest news, giving you early rankings, early sleepers, breakouts, and busts. So if you're a dedicated fantasy football manager, check out the most dedicated podcast, Fantasy Football Today. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. Back here on the Cover 3 Podcast, uh, our thanks to the incredible graphics and animations team for our big game breakdown intro right there. Getting you set for our look at some of the biggest matchups, uh, what we're looking for, keys to the game, storylines, X-Factors, and more. Let's start with Tennessee's trip to Gainesville, where... Yes, Florida has had a, a large advantage in the swamp over the course of this series. But this is not the regular Florida team. Not, not what we've seen through its single game against FBS competition, albeit that was against Utah in Salt Lake City. Not an easy place for anyone to go and win. So they light up McNeese State. They get the good feels back. Okay, Um now they've got a chance to really turn this thing around. All the negativity from coming out of that first Thursday night loss, you know, all of the doom and gloom about the, the Billy Napier era, you can reverse a lot of it if you can take down the Vols here on Saturday in the Swamp. Danny, what are some of the, the sort of matchup angles or storylines? Like, if you want to go big picture with this, uh, I, I will, can go nitty-gritty or big picture. Going to try to hit them both here before we move on. 
I had for this game the Florida offensive line versus Tennessee's front seven. Uh, Tennessee's been getting after it. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, number one in the country in sacks, up there in tackles for loss, too. I think they're second with 25 um, against Florida's offensive line. They have to protect Graham Mertz, who I think has done a pretty nice job. I mean, he's completing 74% of his passes. He's got some, you know, he's got some mobility too. I think, and I think this is where Napier actually does a pretty good job. I think he'll have him getting the ball out of his hands. Um, so I think that's one of the huge ones. And then the other thing is Tennessee's been running the ball a little bit more efficiently than they have. Um, and I think for the Gator defense, they have zero takeaways. So they got to somehow create a way to, you know, figure out a way to slow down Tennessee's offense. And I would say it starts with slowing down the run. I still like Joe Milton. Clearly, like he hasn't started off to be, oh, Hendon Hooker, just, you know, there's no drop off, a little bit of a rusty start in the last game. But I think you try to figure out what he is if you're the Florida defense. This is by far the toughest environment Milton has ever started the game in, right? Because he started at Michigan, but that was the, the COVID year. So there were, there were no fans in the stands in Big Ten games. He played like four or five snaps, I think, at Ohio State in like 2018 ish in, in a blowout. It'll be interesting to see how he, how he handles it, right? I, he, he has not operated the offense smoothly so far. It doesn't mean it can't or that it won't be effective. And, and maybe you get the game where he has all the misses uh, and, and it happened to be against Austin P. But it doesn't look like it looked with Hooker. because he, he, I, don't, I don't think he processes as quickly as Hooker does, and he's just not as accurate, right? Like he, he, Hooker would always take what was there, it felt like, and just kept kept the thing moving. I'm very curious to see how Florida plays this because Florida on the defensive interior, I feel like is pretty damn good and they're they're big. I think Florida is not twitchy at all from a pass rush perspective. Like they don't have like good, quick edge pass rushers on this team so far. And I got some young guys. We'll see how they develop. But coordinator Austin Armstrong led the country last year in blitz rate when he was at Southern Miss. But Tennessee is kind of a tough team to blitz a lot because you're coming from such width. We we talked about this on the breakout video on our YouTube channel if you want to go watch. And they like to do a lot of corner blitzing and whatnot there in, in Gainesville. Can you like can you do that against this offense really well? I, I don't know. So I'm really curious to see how they play it. The other option is to go back to my catchphrase, they could play red zone roulette. How well can Tennessee run the football in the swamp? Can you get them off schedule a little bit? And then they get down there, the compressed area. I do like think that Florida could be a pretty good red zone team because of the size that it has up front. That's kind of what they did to Utah uh, last year when they won the ball game. So I'm curious to see Georgia last year didn't try to pattern match Tennessee at all. They just dropped a lot of guys and they actually won playing kind of a, a lighter box, right? And they said, okay, we're going to beat you and, and play a man down in the box, but a man like minus one, a man, not, not in the, not a, you know, like a man down depth wise. That's interesting to me. Like, I, I don't know what they're going to do. Maybe they'll mix it up some obviously, but Milton has never really handled like people around him and pressure well. It, it doesn't. He holds the ball quite a long time. But yeah, on the other side, Florida's offense just cannot have mistakes. Mm. Like because they they don't have the talent to overcome mistakes. They have to be really clean and play really slow. Oh, man. oh, it's the, wow. mute. Oh, the mute button. Got, mute button. got him. Sorry, I've got like a. I've got phlegm, so I've had to clear my throat a lot. So I'm muting the mic. Um, no excuses here. You remember <laughs> last year, like when Tennessee finally like really grabbed national attention when it beat Alabama. The one thing it did in that game repeatedly was burn Alabama deep. Jalen Hyatt just lumped bomb after bomb after bomb after bomb, and that was the theme of Tennessee's offense all last season. Hendon Hooker was killing people. In comes Joe Milton, who's got the crazy rocket launcher arm. But yet, if you look, last year, Tennessee ranked 10th nationally in explosive pass rate at 20.1%. Do you know where Tennessee is right now after a couple games? Oh, like 50? 99th Woo! in explosive pass rate at 12.1%. Joe Milton is averaging 6.8 yards per attempt because you know what's more important in this offense than having a really strong arm? Having an accurate arm. And that's what Hooker had that Milton does, and it has really impacted their ability to move the ball. So going to like what Bud was saying with Florida, I think he's right. 
they can play red zone roulette in this game because to this point, Tennessee hasn't really shown the ability to beat you with the big plays over the top to make short drives. They have to go down the field and get into the red zone. And that's where Florida's been good because defensively overall, they've been very solid. They're top four in defensive success rate. Now, Tennessee, as Danny was mentioning, has been far more disruptive, but also Tennessee played Austin P. So I don't know how much you can really put into that at this point. It's just, I am not high on Florida. Like, I don't, what I have seen from the Gators so far this year does not make me think this team is going to win a lot of games. It's going to be all like very successful. But I have some concerns about Tennessee in that I just don't think the Vols will be able to pull away in this game. And when that's the case, like, I don't think Florida can keep up on the scoreboard over 60 minutes. But I don't think, if I don't think Tennessee can pull away, that means we're just one Joe Milton mistake. If he holds onto the ball a little too long or he misses his misses receiver by a little too much could really determine the outcome of this game. So if I'm Tennessee, I'm a little nervous going into this one. I think that they're much more vulnerable than you would have anticipated even, you know, a couple weeks ago. So do you dare him to beat you deep and try to play more aggressive or or do you just kind of give him the short stuff? Because he's kind of missed some of the deep stuff and Tennessee's had some drops for sure. Mm -hmm. I think early in the game, I would be aggressive. And if I have to adjust after that, yeah. Yeah. If I have to adjust, I adjust. But early in the game, I'm calm, especially because the game, you know, I'm coming early. I'm going to make him do it. The other aspect of this is your defensive plan probably has to be, be sort of correlated to your offensive plan. Like, do you think you can block Tennessee's front? Do you think you can score enough points without turnovers, right? Like, what does Florida think it can score without turnovers? 17? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I was going to say not more than 24. Yeah, because this offense is, like, not good, right? They, right? they clearly, like, they missed on some of these transfers they took on the O-line. They're using a lot of true freshman at receiver. Mertz is one of your better players on offense, and that's a major problem. Y'all's read of the game is screaming under, by the way. <laughs> like, the the way that Florida wins this game is to keep it in the 20s. But it's entirely <laughs> dependent on pace. If, like, if Florida scores early, right, then this game could go under because they, they, they try to sit on the lead. If Tennessee gets up, Tennessee will not slow down, and then Florida can't play this, like, you know, basically service academy pace that they really want to play. And they have to right. throw the ball more, and then Mertz starts throwing picks. There's a couple of spots. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, too, like when you're talking about accuracy as well, like you could complete 64% of your passes, and it seems like that's pretty accurate, but like it's the finer, like the really accurate guys, they're completing those passes and they're keeping you on the run. You know, they're they're keeping you on a deep post where you catch it in stride and you score, or if it's a crossing route, you keep him running, he runs away from the defense as opposed to, oh, it's behind me, and then all of a sudden you have to slow down and you're tackled for a four-yard gain as opposed to, you know, running it across and up the field. That's the area I want to see too, you know, like where Milton kind of – and that's where I think in these quarterback-driven systems, that's where you excel and that's what you want is when your quarterback is just really accurate with the football. The other thing too, you mentioned the hooker game versus Alabama – there were times under duress when he, you know, he took big shots and he just, you know, stared right down the barrel of the gun and made big plays. That's something we don't know, you know, Milton hasn't done yet. Yeah. Well, I think we do know that he has struggled with people around him in his career. Like he does right. not navigate the pocket very well compared to what Hooker did. There are a lot of spots on the schedule where, you know, only two games of sample size. If this is a bigger game, and a lot of the teams we're talking about here in in big game breakdown are you know, th- this is a bigger game than what they had last week. Tennessee is an example of that. It is easy to be able to say, well, yeah, of course, they were they were thinking ahead to Florida. How much of Tennessee's, you know, bumps in that Austin P game would you give the grace of, yeah, well, you know, sandwich spot between the UVA opener and Florida? Even though UVA being what it is, it's like this is definitely the spot that you would have overlooked are you expecting a significantly improved performance almost across the board from the Vols? Or is that something or is there something from that matchup that is signaling like real lasting alarm bells for you? Did Cade Mays play in that game? Jordan, I I I watched it, but I wasn't paying attention to who was playing center. Is is Mays back for them? He did not. No. Or not not Cade Mays, Cooper Mays, excuse me. The the center. Cade plays for the Panthers. But yeah, he yes. did not. <laughs> There's, I told, I think you're totally on something because I mean, remember when we talked about Texas versus Rice? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's similar. It's just kind of normal. I think you game plan differently. Your players aren't as up emotionally, and you're holding some things back, even that you have in your back pocket because you want to save it for the bigger opponent. So yeah, I think that's a 
a worthy and Florida, Florida seemed to dump it all out because they needed to create some like positivity. It's like, right. we have got to flip these vibes around right now. We're setting records right here today in Gainesville. Yeah. Right, um, so we, we, we think Cooper will be back according to, according to Jordan. So, cause all right, so here's, here's what's gone well. Cause the, the Milton criticisms are accurate, but they're running the ball. Milton's pretty well, not, right? but <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Let me see if I can give it to you. There you go. Um, all right. Like Jalen Wright and Jabari Small is a pretty good one-two punch, right? And that ground game is rolled up over 200-some-odd yards, averaging about five, seven yards a pop. Like that's that's a pretty good thing to have in your back pocket to be able to take it on the road. If I don't know, man. I'm very curious to see if, if Tennessee – Really, because if Tennessee goes in and loses, and six and a half point spread means it's not crazy that Tennessee would lose. We're taking Tennessee and doing the same thing that we did with Alabama, doing the same thing that we did with LSU. You are not in that upper upper tier. It is going to be Georgia and then a a wide gap, and it may already exist, but at least in terms of the way that we look at it. So I'm I'm very excited to see if Tennessee is going to be able to go in there and uh, and flip around some of the results that it had against Austin P. Oh, if if Florida wins, it's going to be Georgia and like 13 SEC flag waivers in that league. I love going out just with a flamethrower to the Southeastern Conference. <laughs> the the theme for the 2023 season is the SEC stinks. Can I ask you <laughs> to go along that that same lines? What are we calling? We're calling this the, what the mid game breakdown. Yeah. <laughs> How many SEC conference games do we have on the rundown? Isn't it just two? Oh, I mean, it's we might not We've hit got the three. Last one. Mid <laughs> mid three. game breakdown. Easy. Right. Oh, Georgia, South Carolina. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm live vlogging that. Not contractually time. obligated to discuss this game at all. <laughs> <laughs> 3.30 p.m. Eastern time. You can watch it on CBS. You can stream it on Paramount+. Plus. No, no, we're not going to that one next. Uh, let's go backyard brawl, baby. Pitt, West Virginia. Pitt coming off. Like, there's no excuse. Like, Pitt can't be like, oh, you know, we were holding something back. No, you got you got walloped, all right? Phil Jakovic did not look good under pressure. Um, you are not able to run the ball as well as Cincinnati was. Cincinnati is... Uh, not going to be we we discussed it a little bit on Monday as well. So what kind of response do you see from the Panthers uh, as they go to West Virginia to try to get a win right here? They you mentioned not good under pressure. Phil Jakovic has been under pressure way too much, which is kind of surprising. I, mean, I know I thought that offensive line was going to be good. Me too. Uh, he's been pressured on forty five percent of the dropbacks. Um, they, I think Pitt's in trouble. And I thought, and this was one of those years where, like, oh, they fun under the radar. We're not talking about them enough. And you know, Pat Narduzzi at the end of the years, like you guys all doubted us. I think it's the other way, but I, I think this is a tough game for them. Um, Garrett Green's pretty good on explosive plays. You know, can he hit them for a couple over the top? I think it's, but you know, we were talking about the unders before. I think this could be an uglier, more of a defensive minded game. I think so too. Like I'm, I'm weirdly confident in West Virginia's floor here. Mm-hmm. Like West Virginia is not good, but I'm fairly sure they're not terrible just because they, they can block people. They seem to have some idea of what they want to be on offense. Not necessarily good offense, but like they're not, if you can block, like you're not going to be a terrible offense because you can buy time and, and do things. And the defense has been a little better than I thought they'd be up front. I don't know about the back end. Uh, we'll, we'll see about that. I don't think Penn State's receivers are amazing, and they they kind of had their way with uh, with West Virginia's DBs. So, I it's strange to think of where we were all off season, and even just going in where it was like this game, we were really worried about Neil Brown, and then losing this game, West Virginia might be staring like a you know one and two start with a big game coming up. Blah blah blah. I'm with Danny though. I, I'm more confident in West Virginia right now than I am in Pitt because, as he mentioned, like the pressure rate. Here's the thing about the West Virginia defense so far: it's been very like boom or bust. They're sixth in havoc rate, so they create a whole lot of you know chaos. Even though they're only 58th in success rate, so if they don't get to you in the backfield, you can get to them. So that's something Pitt's going to have to try to do. But as Danny mentioned, Pitt ranks 106th nationally in sack rate allowed and 125th in the pressure rate allowed, the 44% of pressures on dropbacks. 
they are not giving Dracovic any time. West Virginia is going to bring pressure, and West Virginia has shown an ability to be disruptive in its first game this year. I mean, they gave that Penn State offensive line is supposed to be really good. West Virginia gave it some problems in that very first game. Penn State won the game, but that was kind of like a red flag for me for both Penn State and kind of like an eyebrow perker for you know West Virginia. And I think going into this game against this pit offensive line that you know, we, like you said, was supposed to be good on the road. I kind of like West Virginia in this matchup. Um, real, this is uh, the the chat's just going next level here. Pat Narduzzi so committed <clears throat> to that pit program. He's doing everything in his power to not be on Michigan State's shortlist this year. You know, that's that's what you got to be happy with. Well, maybe he's doing a Kiffin right now. <laughs> no, I was going to say, uh, the do, do you buy in on uh, Pitt turning it around? Because, all, you know, Pitt has that horrible game against Cincinnati. Now, all of a sudden, Mel Tucker suspended. Pat's like, okay, all right, here we go. Come on, boys. Let's, let's get it done right now. No, I'm, I'm with y'all. I am... Uh, I'm a little bit concerned about where the Panthers are at. Kansas State, led by the aforementioned Will Howard, who's having a very strong start to the season. Uh, short road favorite at Missouri. Tom, do you think the Alpha Nerds got something cooked up? Uh, if he does, it's probably pretty bland and no spices because have you seen the Missouri offense this year? It is, it is very good at staying on schedule but there are just no big plays. Like mm-hmm. they are 18th in success rate. They are 14th in three and out rate. So they're, you know, they're getting first downs. They're moving the ball. They're putting together drives, but they have to put together drives because they're 86th in explosive rate. They are not getting big chunk plays to, you know, that you need to be successful in the long run and to win games and going against this Kansas state defense. I would wonder if they're going to be able to do it this week. My, my, my suspicion is no, because Kansas state's defense has been very good to start the year. Of course, their schedule, like Troy, and I can't remember who the FCS team they played, hasn't been the most explosive offenses that they've faced at this point so far this year. But I just think that based on the history of that program last year and what I've seen from it this year, even against inferior comp, I just it's hard for me to say Kansas State's going to go into Mizzou and win on the road against an SEC team. And I think you have to give Mizzou some chance because of that. But ooh, this is this is looking like it's probably going to be another SEC loss to a Power Five conference to me. I mean, we call him the Alphaner, but it looks like he left his book bag at home, or at least the notebook that tells him when to go for fourth down. Uh, Thank you. Drinkwitz has been one of the absolute worst in the country this year in terms of making the incorrect, you know, by, by the the blackjack card decision on when to punt or go, and really in games in which they were not uh, not in serious jeopardy of losing. Now, you would think he'd want to leave his offense out there because, A, it's the correct thing to do to help you win the game, and, B, it's an offense that needs work. But to me, it also suggests they do have some untapped potential. Like, you know this offense is not great, so there's a pretty good chance that you get bogged down on your opponent's four, fourth and two, like 42-yard like line and you have fourth and two. You're going to need to go for that probably to win Kansas State because I don't think you're going to have that many scoring opportunities. So there's some chance that Missouri unlocks something here. Maybe they've just been playing possum. I, I don't know. The team, I, I you, you the mean game. the team that was like only beating, only beat Middle Tennessee by one score? And yeah, they were, weren't they up pretty good in the middle, like kind of came back? Well, they weren't up pretty good if getting right. back into the game is 13 points. <laughs> and yeah. they couldn't run the ball first Middle Tennessee. And now they got it. I mean, and I'm assuming you want to try to run the ball against Middle mm-hmm. Tennessee. And now they're going against the best rush defense in the country in Kansas State. Like, I, I don't. This one I think could be ugly. Did you see Eli too as well? Uh, I don't know if it was shots fired, if he has a relationship with Colin Klein, but did you see what he said? He was doing his press conference and he was like, yeah, their offense corner is like, what are they? He's like, is it CK? Like he just gave his initials and he kind of acted like he didn't know who it was. Well, he's messing around. Yeah, yeah he's I would around. they got to be buddies. I would think so. Um, Missouri's D has been pretty good against the yeah. run. I just, yeah. Will Howard's been – I don't know. I think I think Kansas State has the advantage at most positions, you know. And that's that that, that hits on the same thing we've been discussing, the QB problem. Kansas State has the QB advantage in this matchup with Will Howard over Brady yeah. Cook, and that is something that the SEC is dealing with in non-conference games. Luther Burden would start for Kansas State. Yes, yes he would. Would any other notable offensive player? Um Yeah, I I I think the left tackle they got's pretty good. So, 
he potentially could. I, Kansas State with uh, Noel Legend, uh, Treshawn Ward. You know, they've got a little like one-two combo back. running back. It's good. I, I, I think this is a disrespectful line to Kansas State, the reigning Big 12 champions. That's all I'm going to say about that until Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern time. Stay tuned. All right, LSU-Mississippi State. This one has got to be narrative and storylines because Mississippi State almost got beat by Arizona at home. All right? Plus four in turnovers. I needed overtime to beat Arizona. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right, because uh, it was five turnovers gained, four of them coming from Jaden Delora, and you needed overtime to beat this Arizona team. Arizona outgained them. Arizona had more first downs. Arizona, on lots of down-to-down basis-type levels, outplayed Mississippi State in this game. Mississippi State does get the win, so can that Mississippi State team be able to make it interesting against LSU uh, with Brian Kelly leading the Tigers in for their SEC opener? No. (laughs) I, I tweeted this stat, and keep in mind what we saw with LSU against Florida State. In three, ga- or in three seasons under Mike Leach, Mississippi State ran the ball 25.5% of the time and averaged 51.2 pass attempts per game. Under Zach Arnett so far, Mississippi State is running the ball 60.5% of the time and throwing 23 passes per game. Will Rogers has thrown as many passes this season as he used to, or more, fewer passes this season total as he did in games the last few years. How did Florida State cook LSU again? Was it Was it by handing the ball off and running? Uh, no, it was not. <laughs> it's like if you're going to beat LSU, you need to be taking advantage of that secondary. I don't think Mississippi State can. I don't even think Mississippi State's going to try. They're going to just run the ball into the middle of the pile 15 times and see what happens. I do not like this matchup at all for them. Well, especially because the FCS team LSU played last week actually had some success running the exact same plays that Mississippi State runs, like the the stretch play. LSU did not defend it particularly well. I Mississippi State cannot handle LSU's fastball, but I don't know if they're going to get LSU's fastball. Like LSU in that Florida State game looked like they quit to me. Like they were very low effort in that fourth quarter. They like I don't think they were playing hard. They got really pushed around. I like I'm not convinced that LSU is playing at its ceiling. Like from a power rating standpoint, to kind of have a floor and like like a midline rating and then a ceiling rating. I'm not jacking LSU up to their ceiling yet. Like I haven't seen that from them. They, I, I wonder if they got stuff going on there. I think the amount of talk that we had about the practice fight uh, from fall camp is probably indicative of something bigger, just from reading some tea leaves. So, do I think they win the game? Do I think they cover? Probably, yeah. Because I, I, I don't think you can run the ball on them super well and getting Mason Smith back plus Wingo and 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 those dudes. But they also can't run the ball. Like, can they hold a lead? So I, I don't know. This one to me is a big like you're about to find out what LSU is all about. Yes, mm-hmm. like it's going to be. It's it's not the Mississippi State as old as you guys already mentioned. The run game is going to be they're coming at you, and it's like how bad do you want it? And it's on the road. It's it's environment. You can hear the cowbell. Like just, it's going to find out like how bad do you really want this? And I, you know, I think. Uh, but then on the other hand, like Mississippi State, they struggle with Delora and his run game. They're going to struggle with Jaden Daniels. Like, I think LSU will be fine. But it is kind of one where you get a real good pulse for LSU is mentally. Yeah, the the matchup on paper screams LSU by two touchdowns. But the vibes, you would not, you would not jump on that with a, a lot. I would not jump on that with a lot of confidence. Um because the vibes are bad. And of course, that holds more value than on paper. The <laughs> note I had, and this was based off what Tom was talking about, I said, Will Rogers has to throw more. Like, I know they want to be committed to the run game. That's the new philosophy, but I don't think you're going to have much success. The good news is we've seen Will Rogers throw it before and throw it pretty well. So can you, can you hit a couple, you know, on them? And that's the thing, too. Like, if you're going to run the ball against LSU, I feel like you have to have a quarterback that the defense has to be wary of in the run game. That's not Will Rogers. Yeah. Very interesting. Any other uh, Georgia, South Carolina? What do we want to see? Can Georgia run the damn football? How bad does Kirby want to embarrass Beamer? Yeah. Uh Yeah. He's put it on him the last two years. Like it was Uh personal. Georgia is not running the ball at all, or at least well. And also not getting to the quarterback. 
Yeah, they're 80th in EPA per rush. They're 87th in rushing success rate. And you look at this South Carolina defense, it has been very bad against the run so far. So it's like if Georgia is able to move the ball on the ground, I'm not as worried about the outcome here because I do think Georgia's probably going to win pretty easily. But if they struggle moving the ball on the ground, that to me is going to be like a red flag for them going forward. Although maybe not with that schedule, but yeah. Would it be Georgia's hilarious? Offense looks like the, look, looks looks like the Kansas City Chiefs compared to South Carolina's offense right now. <laughs> true. Very. I mean, very, I, very I, I, this is one of those games you just hope Spencer Rattler survives. The amount of hits he took. I mean. For real, I'm not joking. No, yeah, yeah, no, offensive I'm, line has well, been atrocious. Also, like Beamer is a pretty smart guy in terms of like media and PR. Does he try to win this game or does he try to manage the outcome? Because like, are they breaking out fake punts and stuff? Are they going tempo or do they realize like, hey, we can't block Georgia? We're gonna go ahead and take. We're not gonna do the tempo stuff. We're gonna play an eight or nine possession game each, not a twelve or thirteen not have Georgia put a number that starts with a five on the scoreboard. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to accuse, like, like I know South Carolina fans get mad about this. You guys are the best fan base in the SEC, et cetera, et cetera. Disclaimer, disclaimer. But, like, if you know, you know. And sometimes coaches go into these games knowing, like, they can't block somebody. And that's very clearly the case here. So intent, to me, is the one thing I'm going to judge about this game. Does North Georgia Carolina. want it? Do they want to embarrass them? What is South, how does South Carolina play it? Because I think South Carolina, using common sense, knows they cannot win. North Carolina had nine sacks against South Carolina in the opener and zero against App State. Right. Some of that was scheme, but some of that also... Why South Carolina's going to not make a bowl. They can't block. Like, App State's offensive line might be better than North Carolina's offense. I mean, than South Carolina's offensive line. Right might now. be. Like, that's yeah. a definite... <laughs> you watch both games. There's, there's right. no comparison. I'll, I'll, leave it in, I'll leave it in the hands of the true talent evaluator. I, no, 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 no. Listen, I, I mean, you I watched. Like, like you're putting it all on me because I'm, I'm gonna get the Twitter hate for it. But like, there ain't there ain't no comparison. Yo, I would give me a, if if I'm a quarterback and I have a choice between App State's offensive line and South Carolina's offensive line for my health and well being, which you know is clearly the situation. I would rather have App State's offensive line this week. Furman had seven tackles for loss against South Carolina. Furman. Mm-hmm. Furman. Furman. One hairy man. <laughs> Tomorrow, Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time. It is the best time of the week. We will be rolling out our locks for week three. So come and hang out, watch live, so you can get the best of the numbers. Cover three moves lines. You know how it goes. And you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernell. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. wonderful time of the year fantasy baseball draft season is upon us which means you need to listen to fantasy baseball today part of the cbs sports podcast network join scott white chris towers and me frank sample six times per week throughout march sleepers breakouts busts live mock drafts spring training updates and everything in between every monday through saturday make sure to download and follow on apple Podcasts, spotify the odyssey app and everywhere else podcasts are found